I'm Maureen Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, and we so appreciate that you visit our website and listen to these recorded sermons. The book of Acts is about the early preaching of the gospel. It begins with the promised descent of the Holy Spirit to fill the apostles, to enable them to deliver the message accompanied by signs and wonders. I am not an apostle. I don't do signs and wonders, but I have in written form the same message the apostles delivered. I have that in the New Testament. It is the single most valuable resource I have to form my convictions, guide me in my life, and provide preaching material as long as I preach. There is another benefit from the book of Acts. It helps us understand the right attitudes that ought to accompany gospel preaching. It instructs us perfectly in the right attitudes that ought to accompany all our living and all our relationships with people, especially in our efforts to talk to people about the gospel. These attitudes revealed in the book of Acts constitute our standard, our example. And you'll see that as I read in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, Acts 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There is so much 
for us packed into these 13 verses that we will not attempt to cover in one sermon. But I will mention the apostles, Peter and John, were speaking to the people. What was their message? Verse 2, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Peter and John were preaching the gospel, which was not always well received from everybody. In this case, there were powerful men who were so annoyed, they arrested them and put them in custody. Yet others who heard this preaching responded favorably. Verse 4 reports the activity of believers. A day passes. And the authorities brought the apostles before a gathering, and the intimidating question was, by what power or by what name did you do this? They were not just talking about the preaching. Before this, the apostles had used their God-given ability to heal a lame man. The unbelieving hostile authorities do not at this point say anything about the message. It is the healing of the lame man, they question, asking in whose name this deed was done, and the response came back. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want us to see in the example of Peter and John a product of their faith we need to understand and have today, boldness. It says, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, what is that? It is a product of faith God's people today need to understand and have and use consistently. Let's talk about boldness. Clarity is necessary. Number one, boldness is not the same as volume. Certainly when we communicate to someone orally, whether one-on-one or to a group, there should be volume sufficient for your listeners to hear what you're saying. Also, it is legitimate to use volume to stress a point you're making, to call attention to what has priority, or to challenge or rebuke. But when the New Testament describes this boldness that Peter and John had, it is not just being loud. It takes more than volume. Let's also be clear that this boldness does not include being insulting to people. 
At times, in our disgust or our passion, there may be some temptation to hurl an insult at someone who is wrong. But that isn't helpful. It is usually counterproductive. And may I remind us, the people generally do not change their lives because they've been insulted. I'm not aware of any Christian who has reported, well, I was living in sin for years, and then Brother Preacher told me I was wicked, no good, idiot, and when I heard that, I was baptized into Christ, and I've been faithful ever since. No, I'm not hearing that. It is truth from God that changes lives, not insults from men. Don't let the devil give you this tool. It is no good. It is also important for us to understand boldness should not be confused with self-righteousness. Self-righteousness proclaims, I'm right and you are wrong, that's it. Self-righteousness is self-exalting. It is assertive of self, seeking to win, wanting to boast. Nothing about genuine boldness in the book of Acts includes any element of a self-righteous spirit. Then I wanted to say that boldness is not theatrical or exaggerated. There is, in many religious circles, a carnal interest in fanfare, in excess, in drama, an exaggerated sensational hype, grandstanding, it might be called. I knew a preacher once who took an old Bible with him into the pulpit, and to make a point about how people do not respect Scripture, one after the other, he tore pages out of that Bible and dropped them on the floor. He thought that was bold. What happened was it took the whole assembly way up on the distraction meter, and all some of the kids remembered from the sermon was the preacher tore up the Bible. That's not boldness. It isn't good preaching. It is a distraction. So like other biblical concepts and words, we cannot just make boldness into anything we want it to be. I would like to show us from Scripture what this boldness is. And this working definition will emerge. That disposition of courage that comes from faith that enabled the early Christians to be clear and urgent without being arrogant and self-righteous. May I repeat, this is our working definition of boldness. That disposition of courage that comes from faith that enabled the early Christians to be clear and urgent without being arrogant and self-righteous. Now, for a lot of people, this isn't easy. To hold back your disgust, your anger, your ill-conceived zeal. To calmly state the truth of God and press that truth with clarity and urgency, but without coming across as a demagogue, a manipulator, or a self-righteous demander. Consistently, as we read about the work of the apostles and faithful early Christians, this emerges, this boldness that is commendable, that disposition of courage from faith that enabled the early Christians to be clear and urgent without being arrogant and self-righteous. Let me take us to Scripture for an example of this in Matthew 
Chapter 14 Matthew 14, 1-4 At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Have you ever had to tell someone that their marriage is not according to Scripture? Well, you may be in that position sooner than you imagine. When two men stand before you and one of them says to you, we are married, we want you to accept us and express our approval that we are married. There is in our society today not just an interest in this kind of perverted companionship, but an agenda to get us to celebrate it, to accept it, to approve of it. We cannot approve of it and be true to God and his word. We need to be like John, who said to Herod, your marriage is not lawful. John didn't say Herod was stupid or that his wife was ugly. John didn't say he hated Herod. He told him the truth about his sinful relationship. And that helps us understand the boldness of being a child of God and speaking for God from his word. That disposition of courage from faith that enabled John to be clear and urgent without being arrogant and self-righteous. The rest of the story, this kind of boldness may result in the loss of your head, but you were true to God. Acts chapter 7. I want to recommend that you read Acts 7, 1 through 60. Acts chapter 7, 1 through 60. And you will discover here a sermon delivered by Stephen. And the sermon was the truth. He tracked back God's plan through history, and, and he punctuated his sermon with accusations of guilt for the Jews who had departed from God. Stephen was bold, but there's no evidence he was mad and insulting. In fact, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, as he fell over dead. This isn't an, an example of an angry rant. This is an example of speaking the truth with all boldness against the prospect of death. That disposition of courage from faith that enabled the early Christians to be clear and urgent without being arrogant and insulting or self-righteous. Acts chapter 26. I'm going to read Acts 26, 19 through 32. This is Paul before Agrippa. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. 
To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. What if you spoke the truth and someone said to you in response, you are crazy. Would that inflame you? How would you reply to that? Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. What is that? That's boldness. What is boldness? That disposition of courage from faith that enabled the early Christians to be clear and urgent without being arrogant and self-righteous. Here's a verse that specifies our challenge in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. See, our challenge is to be confident about the truth, but without being arrogant about our knowledge of it. There is a basis for us to be confident in the truth God has given us in the written word, but no basis for us to be unloving, insulting, or boastful about our knowledge of it. Speak the truth in love. That's the boldness that serves God and gets the attention of people with good and honest hearts. Boldness can be one of the most powerful attitudes and tools we use when we speak the truth of the gospel. Confident about the truth of God, but without letting that confidence turn into self-righteousness, not silent, speaking the truth, but doing so with such grace and love, people are willing to listen and learn, and we hope and pray, respond to the God who calls us through the gospel out of sin to be disciples of Christ destined for heaven. Thank you for listening.